welcome to NZ Vegan Podcast. I'm your host Elizabeth Collins. Happy New Year 2018. I just wanted to do a New Year's podcast. I did a Spanish version of my podcast again. I was reminded to that I haven't done one for ages and ages. So um, also finally got to do a street store yesterday. So I'll talk a bit about that. I haven't done any since, you know, last or like over a year ago probably now because I've been at uni. Um, I actually, when I did my Spanish podcast, I sometimes I use it as a bit more of a confessional, but I am going to talk about what I talked about in that Spanish podcast today because it's about advocacy and um, I realized last year, I realized that since, since not, how can I explain this? So when I was doing my street stall more regularly, um, at least regularly enough that it was cathartic and I felt good, I um, I kind of, because in my personal um, relationships with people, my job or um, my family, which is the only really relationships that I have apart from just very close friends who are abolitionist vegans in Auckland who I can count on the fingers of one hand, and who are very, you know, busy people and have their own lives. And so we don't get to hang out that much. But when we do, it's my favorite thing in the world to do because I get to be with people who I have completely the same, you know, ethics as. And we understand each other and we can talk, you know, without... But when I'm with... When I met the new people at uni this year, I realized that I have grown complacent. Um... I was never very good at one-on-one -on -one interactions with people who I see regularly in terms of talking about veganism, in terms of them continuing the conversation and wanting to talk about it with me. Um, I never back down, obviously, and I always stand up for the animals, but I was never good at maintaining an ongoing conversation. I was way back when I was really, I guess maybe I was more passionate about it or maybe because I hadn't done my street store yet and I hadn't been doing my podcast when I first went vegan and I came back to New Zealand and I was bursting with all this stuff. And um, I guess in a way I was a little idealistic and I thought that all I had to do was speak to someone for three minutes and... Or, you know, speak to someone a couple of three times and they were going to get it. Which is a bit silly because, it, I well, I was on the Earthlings Forum for a while, you know, before I, I think I really sort of, I don't remember how long it took me to decide to go vegan after, when I was on the Earthlings Forum reading all the vegan advocacy, especially by the abolitionists on there. That was back a long time ago when there was this forum on um, online for the Earthlings film, which wasn't even related to the film. It was just a, it was just a, a chat group that was hosted on the website, and then there was, it was kind of, luckily for me, abolitionists jumped into that chat group, and gosh, you know, I learned about Gary Francione's work, and and here I am. But what am I trying to say? So, doing the stall. I get to have the conversations that I wish I could have with my friends and family or my classmates, you know, or my work colleagues um, because I, because there's no uh, relationship to maintain. You're not going to see that person again the next day. You don't have to work with that person or they're not your supervisor or your boss or your um, partner and, you know, um, with friends, I think it would be different. Like this, I just couldn't stay friends with people. I don't know. It's hard for me. I'm unable to have true friendships with people who aren't who aren't vegan. I can have a certain level of friendship, but it's it's not it's not the same, you know. Uh, my family is my family, um, so that's never going to change. So, um, but it is very disappointing to me. I'm constantly disappointed in my family <laughs> for not being vegan but they don't we don't talk about it. I don't get to have those conversations with my family they're not they don't let me do it and when I when I'm when I see an open and they're very good at avoiding openings now I've noticed 
um, looking back actually. There's no, they don't provide me any windows of opportunity, um, uh, which is interesting. So, um, so I was, you know, there's a lot of, there's this amazing website, HowDoIGoVegan.com, and um, Francis um, McCormack is a, uh, is one of the people who who posts a lot. I think you know manages the material that's posted on the Facebook page for How Do I Go Vegan, and she's also a mentor. So I need to remember that that I can put people in touch with Frances, and she's sort of devoting. I don't know how she finds the time, but she's one of those people who's got all the energy, and she is actually mentoring people to um, as 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 vegans and. Um, I'm sure it's if they're overseas because I think Francis is in Ireland, so it's done, you know, probably on Skype and by email and that kind of thing. But um, there's lots of of people um, who are uh, working with Gary Francione on his projects that he's doing now, who are really amazing advocates. Not not they don't need a street store to do it. They just do it, you know, in the supermarket and la la, and. Um, I've realized that either I've stopped doing that because I was just getting it out of my system on the street stall and then I was just, or because I'm quite antisocial and I don't go out much, or I've sort of lost the ability to do that the way I used to. I'll give you an example of what happened to me. I posted an example of what happened to me um, because oh, I'm all over the place as usual. So at my job, I was there for six years. I had set my boundaries. Everybody knew. I didn't have to ever say anything again. Nobody ever really brought it up because it was already established. My values, my morals, my boundaries, what I was willing to do, what I was not willing to do, what I was willing to accept. And I was I was safe in my little bubble that I'd created where people knew that I wouldn't, for example, I mean, I would have to remind them, but it's like I, I won't have anything to do with the fundraiser barbecue or I'm not going to you know anything I do is going to be vegan like food wise that I don't that anything I donate for a charity you know fundraiser that we have or whatever 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 and um so it I realized that and it was only really that I would have the opportunity to sort of engage with someone who who had a question or who who wanted to talk to me about it and it hadn't happened for ages and I just never really made it happen myself either it was already established so I kind of just didn't make any progress in terms of advocating for veganism there apart from just being consistent being vegan you know which is so important I mean that's obviously you're gonna do that anyway if you're a vegan and you're consistent you're already doing advocacy but I also obviously want to do more and I was talking my Spanish podcast and the word for discuss is um, the same as the word for argue so it's depending on how you use it so I mean I could be wrong I mean I'm not an expert in Spanish I you know but I'm pretty sure it's um, when you say discutir which means discuss but it also means argue but what I I love like I all I would ever get was like recipes. Oh, can I have this recipe or that recipe? Or oh, is that is that a vegan recipe? What's in it? And it was always just this very superficial stuff. And I'd be dying for someone to say, well, what's wrong with you know using eggs? But they learned not to say that, I guess. You know, they were like, oh, don't ask her that because she's gonna tell you everything that's wrong with it, and it's not gonna be what you want to hear. I don't know. And um, so I just realized that I had kind of kind of crept back into my little shell and I had kind of avoided uh, or, or maybe it was just because of the situation being in a situation where I have a really fleeting opportunity and I have to be able to grab it properly and um, so one thing I'll say is that no matter what I always stand up for the animals and I always and I don't compromise but of course I want to continue the engagement. Of course I want the, the conversation to progress. I want there to be an exchange of ideas so that it can be more than just a statement where they just go, oh, well, I'm never talking to her again. Um, 
and that takes practice and I am out of practice in those kinds of situations because I'm used to the street store. The street store is perfect for me. I love it because I get to argue about, I mean, my favorite thing to do is to discuss the, the ethics, the morals of it. I'm not really interested. I mean, I, okay, how can I say? It's really important to teach people the practical as well. I mean, that's very, very important. That doesn't, it's not really very challenging. You know, it's, it sort of keeps things on an even keel and they can stand there and you can talk all day about the ingredients for vegan cake, but it's not really addressing you know, why aren't you vegan? Why aren't you vegan? What's the difference between the dogs you love and the animals that you, who you exploit? And I haven't been doing that and I realized that. And so all year at uni, I was like, well, this is my opportunity and I've got all these new young people and I have tried. There was a couple um, who um, sort of asked a couple of things, but I just kind of didn't I was just taken by surprise because I was like oh what what do I do again like somebody said oh don't you miss cheese and um I wish that I had said something else but I said I used to love cheese when I wasn't vegan but I don't love baby slaughter <laughs> or something and that was the end of that conversation it did not go any further than that statement um what I wish I would have said was do you know about cheese like what do you know about how cheese is made or, or ask them a question so I'm like oh my god I blew that one and then when I was on my first placement because I'm now after my first year of university I'm actually doing practical placements where you're I'm in audiology clinics and I'm shadowing a professional clinician and they're supervising me and they're getting me to do some stuff or I'm watching other stuff and it's just a placement it's called a placement it's done in all kinds of fields medical you know um, veterinary um, I had to take um, I've got a little rescue mouse I don't want to really talk about it but hopefully she's going to be fine so I have one uh, another mouse hopefully she's going to be rehomed next week with some other mice but she's got um, problems and um, I went to the vet and there was a vet you know, a, a vet nurse there or another vet and she was on her placement and I was thinking, oh, I'm exact because you're sort of, you know, you're sort of standing in the room and the, you know, the vet's doing their job and if you're lucky, you might get to do something or else you just have to watch. But long story short, that's your supervisor and it's graded. So this is part of my grade. So this is part of one of my classes. It counts towards my degree. It counts to whether or not I pa pass or fail. So my supervisor for my first placement the first day that I went, worked, we were working together, she said, well, listen, we're going to get lunch. Um, you know, the, the business is going to buy us lunch today. And I was like, okay, well, I'm vegan. And we're, we were up in Helensville, which is um, far sort of west and a bit far out of, it's a bit out of the city. It's very farm country, lots of farmers. And um, which doesn't mean there isn't, you know, a vegan like cafe or something. I mean, but. I just was like, hmm, and she said, oh, we'll go to Peter Pit, and Peter Pit, it's a bit like Subway, and where it's just a pita bread, and then you can pick whatever you want, so you can just get it, and the bread is, is, is vegan bread, and you can just fill it up with what you want, so I just had lettuce, and, and tomatoes, and very, very little options, actually, to be honest, and, um, and then, as we were sitting down to eat, she said, I think a vegan diet is a really good idea, I mean, what an opportunity, right? And what did Elizabeth do? She said, well, it's more than, it's more than um, food. It's, it's clothes and sho shoes and clothing and stuff. And then she just went, oh. And then that was the end of that conversation. And I did not, I could have saved it. I could have said, oh, well, so anyway, what, what do you think is good about it? Or basically what I was thinking was, well, why aren't you vegan then? But I didn't. I didn't. And then it was never brought up again. In that way and I'm asking myself I'm asking myself those hard truths that you have to ask yourself did I shut that down because she's my supervisor and it was our first day together and I was going to be graded and you know my performance was going to be evaluated and was I scared that if we had a, a conversation where I challenged her morals that she was gonna um you know is that is that why I did that or was it just because I'm out of practice? Or was it just because I felt awkward and I didn't want an awkward moment because of... Yeah, so it was really disappointing for me. 
it was an opportunity blown and it made me miss my street stall even more because at least if I have a situation like that and then I can go to my street stall, at least I get to really, you know, challenge and have really challenging, because you have to, ch we are challenging people, but it's not a, a violent or an, um, it's not a um, confronting in a way, in the way that, you know, abolitionist advocacy is, is an exchange of ideas, really, because our ideas are right. <laughs> and then you know, I didn't come up with them, so... It's not about my ego. They're just right. I mean, it's it's wrong to exploit sentient beings. We all know that. And um, if I had asked um, my supervisor, you know, do you think it's wrong to hurt animals unnecessarily? She would have said yes. But either way, I didn't take it further. And so I'm sort of questioning myself. I'm, I'm sort of a little bit disappointed in myself. And I keep looking at all these amazing posts and these conversational ideas from all these advocates who are who are doing it every day, not just doing a street stall. Some of them don't do a street stall because they don't have that ability, like either they live in a place where it's not done or they just don't have the lives where they can spend a whole day standing on a street corner doing it. They've, they've got things, but they do it with all these amazing situations and ways. And they try, the reason they share it is because they're like, you can do this too, you can do this too. And I'm like, I used to be able to do that. What's wrong with me? Why am I such a coward now? What if, what's happened to me? And then not doing my street stalls made it even worse. So it's been a really rough year because, I mean, I have, you know, don't get me wrong. It's not like I'm, I just haven't been able to capitalize on the opportunities that I've been given as well as I think I used to, or at least I used to put more effort in. And I'm questioning myself. Have I got complacent because I used to just make up for it by doing, I don't know. Um, because it's easy to do a street stall that's about veganism because you've already set the stage this is why I love doing it. I, lo I think people should practice doing that, um, you know, with other abolitionists so that they can set you straight if you're doing, if you start to, like, I, I, I think the reading groups are really, really important, and I think reading is really, really important. But I also think if you can get someone to watch you do the stall and learn, they're learning with, as long as you don't let them stand there and say something to someone like, oh, well, cut, just cut down or something. But I think that's a great learning opportunity, too is for someone to go to an established abolitionist street stall or tabling that's done regularly and watch how it's done. Because then these people who are being told by the welfare that people run away, that people don't go vegan, that people get alienated instantly, that people don't, you know, that it's never going to work and la la la, they can see these amazing exchanges that you have with people and then they can see it in, in action. So I really am a big proponent of that. And I'm always inviting people who say, oh, I'd love to do this. I'm like, well, come by one day and hang out with us while we're doing it and watch how it's done basically like you know this is how you can advocate for veganism without compromise it's really easy you could do it too and you know and then yeah read read all the books ideally read them first um but i also feel like if they see it in action when they go and read the books then it also makes more sense so i think they complement each other i don't want people to just rush out there without having any theory and who are very welfareist oriented and do a stall because then they're going to just be doing welfareist advocacy at their stall, but I do think it's a great opportunity for people to invite people along to your stall, and, sh you know, be quick, you have to keep an eye on them, though, so, because you don't want them to be saying, you know, like, if they show up in their old leather shoes, you have to send them away, it's like, sorry, you can't stand behind my table, <laughs> go and get changed, you know, and talk to them about that, like, well, you're not actually vegan, because you're wearing leather, um, I've had that happen to me, someone was wanting to do and I said, well, come by and watch how done. And she wore leather shoes. I said, you can't, you can't do that. You can't wear leather, okay? And she wasn't, it wasn't that she didn't have any other shoes. This woman had plenty of shoes. And I actually said, look, you know, this, you're not, you're not going to stand here and wearing those shoes. And I never saw her again. And that's fine. But um, hopefully she's gotten rid of those shoes. But um, anyway, why am I babbling on about that? Oh, I don't know. All right, because it's, so the the thing about doing a street stall when you've set it up right and you and people who come over know they're talking about veganism it's like you've created this space where they know they're going to have a discussion there's going to be some debate and they're prepared for that when you're just with someone who's like holding their two-year-old's hand in the supermarket just buying their groceries and you are trying to that's that takes some 
you know, it takes some skill and in, in, in advocacy and it takes some really good notion of theory and it leads a lot of practice and that's what I've discovered that I've either lost or never really had um, since I've gotten out of my little job where I worked and I was completely hit and all my boundaries. So I'm kind of like feeling quite disappointed. So this is 2018, it's a whole new school year. I'm hoping I can do better. Um, but I just want to say that speaking of that, in terms of people like me, <laughs> not only go and read what those people are saying, like Francis um, McCormick, who I said is an advocate on Gary Francian's Facebook page and the How Do I Go Vegan page, but there's also there's this whole group of abolitionists around the world, um, and they're all on Gary Francian's Facebook page commenting. And there's too many to mention. The reason I mention Francis is because she's um, a mentor. So remember that as well. Um, if you look up um, Frances McCormick, I'll put her link, like I'll put her name so that you can look her up if you need a mentor. Um, but there's a whole, there's too many to mention of the vegan advocates and there's all over the world. It's not just in America or, um, you know, England or, I mean, it's Australia, Ireland, Sweden, Turkey, Brazil. Oh, there's too many to mention. But what I want to say is that Gary Francione and Anna Charlton have just come out with another new book. So this is perfect timing. It's like my first podcast of the new year, 2018. It's a galvanizing for me. And there's a book called Advocate for Animals. And it's all about advocacy. Now, ironically, I am actually at my street stallers. They very kindly included um, a contribution that I had done. I don't know. I can't remember what I wrote it for, but it was a little essay that I wrote about the street stall. And so I'm sort of featured in this book as somebody who's like can talk about that. But then when I look at it, I'm like, I'm terrible at, at, at advocacy. Um, so I'm really glad for the rest of the content of this book, which is um, it's not just about tabling. Um, I mean, tabling is a wonderful thing to do. You reach people, you get to have those conversations. It's fantastic. But I really want to get good at everyday conversations. I need more practice, you know. I need not to be scared of the consequences um, unnecessarily. Like I even remember when we had a meeting at school, I said, you know, I'm actually nervous about getting a job because I um, always have to tell people who I am when I'm on a job interview. And I was like, you know, I'm going to tell them I'm being because that's who I am. But what if they don't want to hire me? Because, you know, there's all this silly stuff that's done in the name of veganism. And, um, that's not done by the abolitionist community, but we have bear, we bear the brunt of the consequences of it. Um, you know, silly you know stuff, and they might be like, "Oh, I don't want a vegan around." They're just gonna like tell me I'm a corpse muncher or something like that. So I was a little bit. I'm I'm even starting to to be like, "Oh, am I am I gonna get a job? You know, as an audiologist, do I have to not tell them I'm vegan?" And then like after they've hired me, it's like, "Haha, I'm vegan. Suck it," you know. I was like, haha, I'm vegan, or, or I don't know. I mean, I don't need to say it in the job interview, but I often do because I want to set a boundary. Um, but I can always set that boundary after. So maybe I just, but it just feels like I don't want to hide it, you know? Like, oh, it's so, can you see how messed up I am? So anyway, back to the book. So the book is called Advocate for Animals, exclamation mark, by Gary Francione and Anna Charlton, who do wonderful webinars where they talk about, it's just such really brilliant grounded advice um, based on years and years of experience of adv advocating in diverse situations unequivocal veganism okay so I'll just read some of the chapter titles because this is a book that you need to get if you want to do vegan advocacy there's 10 simple guidelines that's chapter one there's like an introduction to abolitionist veganism but you should be reading all the other books anyway but they always just put a summary in here, I guess, because they want people who maybe haven't read anything else to get an idea. So it's a basic, you know, breakdown. I actually, I'm, I'm, I only got the book a few days ago and I haven't read it yet. But um, I just, I've read some of it, but I, I, I need to read the whole thing like a million times <laughs> to get it in my head. But here we go. Chapter one, 10 simple guidelines of abolitionist veganism advocacy, abolitionist vegan advocacy, so it's like guidelines, advocate, enroll, um, assume that people are good at heart, so you know how eat like you care is like questions, right, these are questions, well this is like 
how, you know, now that you know the answer to those questions, how are you going to advocate? You now that you have this knowledge or you're gaining this knowledge and you're prepared for the situation, you know, the, the questions and the debates and the examples and the analogy, you have all the analogies, how to do it. So one of the, um, for example, guideline nine is like, don't get defensive, respond, don't react. You know, for some people that's easier said than done. It's certainly easier said than done than me. But isn't it good to have a guide to read it? You know, this is like practical advice. I mean, they're pulling out all the stops, you know. Um, chapter two, where to advocate. Never underestimate the importance of communicating with friends and acquaintances. Opportunities for vegan advocacy arise every day. Okay, which I think is, that's just so great, reading study groups, and then there's some more sort of formalized stuff like tabling and, um, and stuff like that. Um, and then there's, um, there's, there's the reflections from some abolitionist advocates and the tabling chapters there where there's those of us who are doing tabling. Then there's a reading and study groups one, and so there's some ideas. And then there's advocacy in low-income communities and how can we advocate in low-income communities. And then, um, so that was the how of abolitionist vegan advocacy. So like, how do you do it? Now that you have all these ideas, how do you do it? You know, like, how do you create those opportunities or grab those opportunities and, and capitalize on the, those opportunities the best you can? And you're not going to be perfect and you can't predict other people's behavior. But if you have some guidelines about, about what these people who have been doing it for decades have found effective in diverse situations, I mean, you can't, you might as well read it. Um... And then there's um, part two is the what of abolitionist vegan advocacy, um, which is a bit more theory. Um, there's also talking with other animal advocates who reject veganism as a moral baseline. Um, so that's good because that is a big part of abolitionist advocacy. There's some more thoughts on talking with family and friends, which I cannot wait to read because that's where I'm failing down. Um, there's dealing with anxiety. Then there's the common seven common objections so that you can just like have, and they've given some sample discussions, which I love. So chapter 11 is like, here's an example of, because people ask that, oh, give me an example of, you know, a, 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 um, an exchange that you've had. And then there's, um, yeah, some other, and then it goes into some of the principles, but it's just, it's a guide. It's like, okay, now you want to get out there and do it. Here's some things that are going to help you do it. And, um... And these are often questions that we get asked. And I try to, I know how to table. I think I do great at table. I mean, I think that generally I've had a lot of practice at it. It's, I'm in my element. I'm in control. It's about veganism. That's what they're coming there for. They know I'm going to do that. And where I need to work on is the more difficult stuff, which is everyday stuff, grabbing those opportunities, knowing how to reach a complete stranger who you might only have 30 seconds with and plant that little seed. And um, I'm not good at that. And in fact, I, I have to, I think I'm a bit ashamed because I think I've probably avoided it. I mean, I don't go out much anyway, but it look, looking at how I've gone over the last year, since I'm in a new environment, since I'm now out of the house more, like I worked at the top of my street. So I would literally get out of my house, walk for three minutes, spend eight hours at the, at the, in the office building with the people who I knew, who knew me, who've known me for six years, get back out of that building and walk back down my street. And the only other place I went was yoga class. And, um, I didn't talk to anybody there either. <laughs> I just did my hot yoga and then I just said hi, bye. And that was basically it. Although I did, um, when I was cleaning the yoga studio, I cleaned the yoga studio in order to get continue to be able to go to classes while I was saving money. So I was the I was one of the cleaners, and you can you clean it, and then you can get free classes. And um, I did um, get to know the manager a little bit because I was working for them in a way. And um, and we did talk about veganism, and they said they were going to eat a vegan diet. Him and his partner, and I gave them some recipes and stuff. And I did talk to another. Oh, no, and I did talk to, yeah, no, I did get a chance to have, I mean, a lot of time is up to the other person, because if you, if you have someone who you know, and then they say, well, what's wrong with eggs, though, I eat eggs, and then you start to talk to them about it, and then they just never ask you again, and they completely avoid ever bringing it up again, mm, I mean, I don't know, I mean, I don't know if you can completely blame yourself, I mean, it's 50-50, right, it takes two to tango, but at least if you have that opportunity, you can do the very best you've done, and then if they have a failing, if they, it's basically a moral failing, really, isn't it, it's like, I'm just going to turn my back on all of this, 
um, truth and I'm just going to keep staying in the dark. Um, but I think you will find that a lot of people will want to continue to discuss. It used to happen to me, you know, people, I need to get back to that. So I really want to see this year coming if I can make some headway with my with my classmates just in terms of having conversations about it. I'm just going to sort of test myself and see how I go with that because we've now been known each other for a year. They know that I'm not a, you know, that I'm a, a kind-hearted person or at least I try to be a kind-hearted person. Um, so I wouldn't be, it's not about wanting to um, agitate them or annoy them. Um, it's about wanting to have a discussion with them that I think they're perfectly capable of having. Um, so yeah, that's my sort of New Year's resolution is to get better at that and not be a coward and run away from it and avoid it or shut it down, which is the last thing I should be doing. And to, yeah, really, I'm going to, I'm going to sort of have, this is my going to be my little book that I'm going to sort of carry around with me. I mean, I gave up even carrying pamphlets around and stuff with me because I never gave any out. Because I never took the opportunities or created those opportunities. I mean, that's how bad it's been. Because I had pamphlets. I had the HowDoIGoVegan.com business cards, which are perfect. You can just give it to someone. They can slip it into their wallet. I think I need to make one a bit smaller. I think they're a bit too big. And I had um, just pamphlets. Like I had abolitionist approach pamphlets and my nutritional pamphlet that I copied word for word almost from the Boston Vegan Association, which is now the International Vegan Association nutritional pamphlet, which I think they've come out with a new version, but I just sort of New Zealandized it a little bit, um, and I never asked permission from them, but I did completely credit them on it and say this was basically copied from this one, but it was very naughty of me, but um, I just did that, and... Um, because I do, New Zealand is, um, yeah, I mean, there's not, now it's different, but when I was starting, there was no access to, I mean, even nutritional yeast, I mean, now you can find nutritional yeast in a lot of places, but you couldn't, I mean, even now still, nutritional yeast is not something you can buy, you can't buy it at the supermarket, um, it was only in specialty stores, and it was ridiculously, prohibitively expensive, I mean, the, the products here, the specialized luxury vegan products, which I don't think nutritional yeast is a luxury product, but it sure is here, but now it's getting a bit better, so I sort of was like looking at it, and I was like, no, I need to sort of take out all of these stuff that we don't have in New Zealand, that they do have in the States, and I need to put in more, you know, and I need to acknowledge the price of things here, <clears throat> the price of, <clears throat> sorry, the price of things here. Sorry, my voice is a bit rough because I did the street store yesterday, and I haven't talked that much, you know, for that many hours in a long time, and I, I find that my voice is always a little bit <laughs> after the street store because I get to talk and talk and talk. But anyway, um, I can't remember what I was saying because I just coughed. Um, oh, right, so yeah, I just, I'm very conscious about in New Zealand. So, now that my confession is over, you know, please check out the book Advocate for Animals. I'm going to put a link on my, on this blog description. Um, but just look it up, Advocate for Animals by Gary Francione and Anna Charlton. It's only like 10 US dollars or you can buy the Kindle. And so now a few things. This was really good, what happened yesterday. So, um, what, what, in, what I'm finding... A really good thing that happened to me yesterday, which I want to share, um, because I had, at the street still, I really think I do great. It's just in real life that I don't. But anyway, so we were at the street stall, and a woman was um, was um, quite a little bit kind of, not hostile, but she'd been there before. She was challenged. So when she came back, she came back with all her defenses up. There are people like that. And um, wanted to talk about um, her, um, re not religion, because she refused to say it was religion, but wanted to talk about the Bible and stuff. And I said, look, we don't really want to talk about the Bible. I just said, you know, um, all I have to say is that whether or not your reading of the Bible says that animals, you're allowed to use them, the bottom line is there's nothing that prohibits you from not using them. So you can be vegan without violating your own religion. So that's all I have to say about that. I don't, we, you know, we, we're here to talk about veganism. So we don't want to talk about um, 
you know, I wasn't allowed to use the word religion because that would have caused an argument. We don't want to talk about your relationship with Jesus and we don't want to talk about the Bible because it's got nothing to do with veganism. None of that has anything. In your own personal life, you can find a way to connect them if you need to or you want to, but they can't be used to justify non-veganism um, and certainly veganism can be completely compatible with any religion on earth. So... Um, there we go. So another objection that was raised, so we ended up talking about veganism, which was really good. And an, and an objection that was raised was, and a couple of people said that, um, this was this happened a lot. In New Zealand, you would not believe the price of stuff here. I mean, the price of fresh fruit and vegetables, it is, it's mind-blowing. And it's really criminal, just capitalism. I mean, this is capitalism. So all of the Good quality stuff is exported overseas where it's sold for even more exorbitant prices, I'm sure. The New Zealanders get the second rate stuff at elevated prices. I mean, it's shocking. And um, so one man said that, so we were saying, you know, because two people raised about how it's expensive to be on a vegan diet. Another thing in New Zealand is the price of like vegan alternatives as they're called or like vegan pizzas or vegan cheesecakes or ready-made processed foods which are not really healthy anyway, but what I'm trying to say is they're so ridiculously expensive. I mean, you wouldn't believe it. Like, vegan cheese. I mean, it's shocking. I mean, $15 for, like, a, a small block. Um, $12 if you're lucky. Um, maybe at the, one of the supermarkets you might get it for 10 But this is, like, you know, a couple of hundred grams. I mean, crazy stuff. There, there was a Daya Cheesecakes have made it to some house food store that was close to my mother's house, so I'm like, cool, you know, vegan cheesecakes. And um, I just was curious, and I said, how much? They were $25. And they're not very big. I mean, they're about 8 inches in circumference, or the ones that they had. $25. So that gives you an idea, okay? Um, and so, and then going back to the fresh fruit and vegetables, like, it's cheap if you can buy one capsicum, which is a red pepper, you know, or a green pepper, you know, those sweet peppers, for $2. In the winter, they go up to five dollars each. I'm not kidding. Um, mushrooms. I mean, it's fresh fruit and vegetables here. It's shocking. So people are trying to use that as an excuse not to go vegan because they they need to be educated about what a vegan diet is. So my so so the person I was talking to, I, she obviously is on a low. She's on a on a benefit. She does not have much of an income. And she was saying that although she was drinking a giant Wendy's milkshake. But we'll put that aside. It could have been a special treat, you know, for her in terms of, I obviously don't think it's a special treat because it's horrific, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to discount her description of not having much disposable income just because she was, had that. Um, so I said, okay, I need to, we need to explain to these people. There was another person who was a very well-dressed gentleman and looked like he could easily afford fresh fruit and vegetables, but they were like, oh, well, fresh fruit and vegetables in New Zealand. And I'm like, yeah, so what? I mean, the the fact that you're non-vegan and you're buying meat and stuff, that doesn't suddenly magically lower the price of fresh fruit and vegetables. I mean, everybody needs fresh fruit and vegetables to be optimally healthy. But if you are not a wealthy person and you can't afford that level of fresh fruit and vegetables, it's still better to be vegan and eat legumes and, you know, beans and rice and just dried herbs and spices and root vegetables like carrots and potatoes than it is to eat meat and eggs and dairy and no fresh fruit and vegetables. So um, last year, I was so overwhelmed with uni. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. I, I, I was so overwhelmed with how difficult it was for me to... to, to to do what I needed to do to get through the year uh, for lots of reasons. Um, I haven't studied in like 20 years, my age, all the kinds of things. And um, and it was just difficult as well. And plus it was new material for me. I've never had a science background. I've never had a physiology background. So it was really tough. And I really didn't have a lot of fresh fruit and vegetables. Um, I certainly had a lot less than I'm used to because of money. Um, because they are very expensive. But I had some. But... I was eating giant bowls of red lentil soup with onions and carrots and um, and garlic. You know, I mean, and you can use garlic powder if you can't afford. I mean, it still doesn't mean that you can't be vegan. I mean, it still doesn't mean that a vegan diet isn't cheap. I mean, it's much cheaper or at least affordable um, in New Zealand. I mean, um, if you're struggling to the point where 
you know, you're really struggling to get your fresh fruit and vegetables, that's criminal. We need to bring that down. Everybody needs fresh fruit and vegetables. But if you can't access fresh fruit and vegetables and your options are meat and dairy and eggs with no fresh fruit and vegetables or lentils, beans and rice with, with, with no fresh fruit and vegetables, well, do lentils, beans and rice. I mean, come on, this is an ethical thing. You, you know, you don't, you don't need to have, I mean, I think it's healthier, obviously. I think it's healthier to eat lentils and chickpeas and beans and rice you know, canned or whatever. I mean, canned tomatoes here, one thing I'll say is you can buy canned tomatoes for 80 cents. I use those a lot. Um, all next year, winter, I'm going to be using lots of canned tomatoes. So you can make a, a tomato sauce. And the pasta that I buy is a dollar. I mean, you can, there's some stuff here that is for budget. So um, there's a dollar loaf of bread, and I checked out it's vegan. And there's um, a spaghetti, a packet of spaghetti. That's 90 cents. I mean, for New Zealand, that's, that's unbelievably cheap. I mean, that's just amazing. And so, yeah, it's not healthy to eat spaghetti and canned tomatoes every day of the week without lots of fresh fruit and vegetables. But it's not healthy to eat, you know, fries from Wendy's every day of the week either. And it's more expensive anyway. Or to eat a, a burger, you know, or, or Kentucky Fried Chicken or whatever, or take out Chinese pork, you know, stir-fried pork from your Chinese takeaway with no, you know what I mean? So I did explain that to her and we kept going back and we kept going back because I have a little, my little handout that says a vegan diet is, it's not expensive. And the, and people say, oh yes it is. And they always quote the price of fresh fruit and vegetables. If they're not quoting the price of vegan cheese and stuff like that, which I just said, well you don't, don't, you don't need that and it's bad for you anyway. So forget that stuff. And then they talk about fresh fruit and vegetables. Yeah, they're right. And it is wrong that we don't all have access to it. It is wrong that there are, um, and it is, it is more healthy it's definitely fresh fruit and vegetables are so important for health but you know am I have I made sense I I think I made sense with with her I think I finally got her thinking I said you know so so and she kept bringing it back to that and I kept saying okay you're absolutely right but let's look at this pamphlet that I made so we're talking about rice and beans and it's you know because kids need to be full you need to fill up your kids bellies so you can do that and I said you can add flour you can mash some beans up with some flour and you can make yourselves a little burger so it's so it's not always just a something you have to eat with a spoon you know because I think a lot of times people they want something they can pick up with their hands you know they don't want everything to be in a bowl with a spoon you know but that's where flour and um, and beans, you know, bean burgers and stuff come in. And you don't need vital wheat gluten to do it. I mean, vital wheat gluten um, makes a really chewy sort of shape that doesn't break apart. But I never used to have vital wheat gluten, and I used to make um, bean burgers and stuff all the time, and patties and stuff. And in fact, one of my one of my favorite sort of patty type thing where it's just once it's cooked you just can sort of make a sandwich out of it and it's just easy just eat it with your hands don't need a knife or fork and stuff was these um green pea or yellow pea like pea patties they're so awesome and if you don't want to fry them you know you can bake them um so yeah so that was something that i've i'm i'm people really need to understand you know really think beyond the box they'll just dismiss it out of hand they'll they'll look at this and they say, oh, well, look at the price of fresh fruit and vegetables. You can't be vegan. And I'm like, well, you know, a vegan diet is is not just fresh fruit and vegetables. It's actually a lots of other stuff. And everybody needs fresh fruit and vegetables anyway. So the fact that you're saying that fresh fruit and vegetables are expensive, that's a problem for non-vegans too. Um, and it's certainly healthier to eat vegan dried beans and stuff than it is to eat. Yeah, I think I've made my point. So it, I think it went well, and then also I was showing her the books that we have, which are Gary Francione's books and Anna Charlton as well, of course, and I was like, these are available at the library, and she said, oh good, so you're making it accessible to people, um, and I said, yeah, so there's another misconception, and that is that we are, um, you know, it's all about, you have to have money to be vegan, you know, like, as in you have to have, you have to be wealthy, or you have to be, um, in this sort of more economically privileged, um, you know, higher economic class. And I said, no, no, I've, I've made these books available at the library. So you can go to the library and read them. You don't, I'm not selling them. I said, these are my copies that I bought for myself and I just want to show people them so that they can go to the library and get them. So I think it went well for her. And I think I did have a little breakthrough and I think it's really important to be able to, um, 
to mix to, to eliminate all the myths and the prohibitions that people throw up and the dismissive arguments that people use to dismiss out of hand, which are not valid. And um, to think outside, you know, to sort of say, come on, you know, let's think about this for a second. You know, um, it's not just only, yeah, but obviously it's it's not long term. I wouldn't want to go without fresh fruit and vegetables. And I didn't, I didn't go completely without them because I am lucky and I do um, have privilege. But if I didn't have access to any fresh fruit and vegetables at all, um, well, that is still not healthy at all. I still think it's healthier to have beans and lentils and root vegetables and potatoes and onions um, than it is to have whatever the alternative non-vegan one is. Um, but I do, I want to um, be able to see a world in which there isn't food inequality and yeah, we want to work towards that as well. Uh, but we have to break through these, um, these myths and you know, now that veganism is becoming more mainstream, there is a lot of, of, um, I mean, I, I go on some of the, you know, some of these websites and and it does look very expensive to to be vegan because the the things featured are very expensive things or always restaurant food and um not everybody can eat at fancy restaurants every single day for breakfast lunch and dinner but i do i'm honest with people when they come up and they're putting up all these protestations and then i finally and then they say okay 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 i'm going to try it and they say you know but you know and i just well what i say to them is i say but you have to learn how to cook I really say that, I say you have to cook, because that's the point, is like, because all this processed food, it means you don't have to cook, and people are tired and busy and lazy in a way sometimes, don't want to make the effort, but it's also, you know, our lifestyles, I mean, we sort of live in a serfdom, you know, and when you're working, you know, 40, 50, 60 hours a week, and then you've got your commute, your travel time, then you've got a, you know, you don't have a dishwasher, so you have to do all your dishes, and then you've got to do all the cleaning and maybe you're a single mother and blah, 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 blah. Um, it's easier to either get takeout so you don't have to do any dishes, you don't have to do any cooking. Or to do something that all you need is a knife and a couple of pieces of bread and that's your dinner. Rather than having to rinse and wash vegetables and stuff. So you do have to make, you do have to make an effort but you, you have to make that effort because... The alternative is to participate in completely unjust slaughter of animals. But what I do tell people, what I'm trying to say is, I, I do say to people, but you're gonna, you need to learn how to cook, because you know, unless you're buying $15 blocks of vegan cheese every day with vegan lunch and sausage, that you're just having sandwiches, and then you go out and just buy like a, a power bar or like whatever, or you go and just eat your Lord of the Fries or whatever, you're gonna have to cook. But then everybody who's not vegan, who's unable to afford, um, you know, um, handy food, uh, has to cook as well. But non-vegan processed food is cheaper. Non-vegan takeout is cheaper. So that's where people get mixed up and say it's expensive to be vegan, to have a vegan diet, because you go to Lord of the Fries and it's $10.00 or $8 for one of their vegan burgers, not that I'm recommending that this is a healthy way to eat, but I'm just doing a point of comparison, and not that I've walked into a McDonald's, but I'm pretty sure at McDonald's, even in New Zealand, it's not $10 for a Big Mac. So, yeah, vegan processed food is more expensive. Vegan convenience food is more expensive. Um, but you can learn how to cook. So one of the things that HowDoIGoVegan.com website did was put out this food guide of like super fast and easy meals and that kind of thing. So I've learned as a student, what, what, have I, what do I do? I have figured out, not on my own I think, but I just realized that this was the right thing for me to do. I have this big soup pot. It's just a big soup pot. And I make one pot that lasts the whole entire week. So, and then some of them are so quick, especially the soups. And the rice and beans, I've finally learned how to cook good, um, like, Caribbean beans and 
so I can have it on rice. It's my, one of my favorite foods in the whole world and I never knew how to do it properly because I wasn't cooking the beans for long enough. The beans are really, really cooked in those dishes and I wasn't getting that part. And also some of the flavorings I wasn't getting, like in um, the habichuela dominicana, which is from the um, Dominican Republic, which I ate every day with, I just love it so much, and Cuban black beans as well. Um, there's certain just flavorings that you put in that make them taste the way they taste. And I always was worried that there must be pork or chicken stock in there, but it's not true. Most of them, there are some recipes that have chicken stock, but most of the ones I saw are completely vegan. So that makes me feel better that I was eating a lot of, not that it makes, I wasn't vegan at the time, but I was eating a lot of vegan rice and beans. But anyway, um, that's really silly. I was not vegan. Okay, so there wasn't any good about it, but... Um, what was I saying? Yeah, so I want to help, so, you know, as I'm lucky that I have that experience to share of really being exhausted, and I could have made enough to feed a family, and it could have taken me less than half an hour, and I'm talking, this is dinner for a week, okay, and then for lunch, I would have my peanut butter sandwiches, um, yeah, eating peanut butter on sort of cheap sort of white bread is not ideal, you know, health-wise, but it kept me going. It's it's okay. You know, sometimes you don't have a choice. You're on a budget, and you got to do what you can do. And um, I'm okay. I still didn't get any colds or flu, and I I mean I still stayed healthy the whole year. And I didn't even exercise, which is terrible. I'm really like having a big sacrifice to do this uni thing. But what I'm trying to say is like I can have direct experience where I can talk to people about what I do as a person who's on a budget, who is extremely busy. And yes, I was only cooking for myself, but it's completely transferable. So, you know, if I had a family I would do that. So the, the my favorite one of my favorite favorite soups is a red lentil carrot soup. And um but I would just quadruple the recipe or whatever the case may be. And all it is is literally water, onion, carrots, and potatoes, fresh garlic, but if you don't have fresh garlic, you could use powdered garlic, and tomato paste, and um, salt and pepper. And, but this flavor of the red lentils and the carrots and the water is such a beautiful flavor, and I'd make a huge pot. So I'd come home in the evenings, and all I had to do was get one bowl and so if you if you have a microwave and you want to eat it microwaved, you can do that. But I would get one bowl and one pot, and I would, out of my big pot that was in the fridge, that was my dinner for the entire week. And I didn't have to do hardly, it took me less than five minutes to make my dinner for the entire rest of the week. And it only took me like half an hour to make that pot of soup. I mean, then you leave it to cook on the stove, but the actual prepping and cooking time was half an hour to make, you know, dinner for the entire week and it worked it was such a lifesaver and I think it was wholesome and nutritious yes it wasn't lots of fresh you know lots of fresh leafy greens and stuff um, which you do want to have but I still feel like it was really nutritious and it kept me going um, yeah so um, and how I got my leafy greens was I would buy a, a, a bunch one bunch of kale which I'm lucky I can get from for three dollars at my at the local farmers market and I would just make a kale smoothie because I have a blender, which I bought for $10 off Trade Me. I mean, secondhand goods, you know, because um, my other blender broke. It, it, I used it until it was basically spraying out oil from the bottom. And then I finally was like, okay, I need to replace it. And I got the exact same model. And that one had only cost $35, um, which is probably prohibitive for some people. But then I went on Trade Me and there was this blender for $10 and it was brand new. And um, they didn't ever used it because they got gifted another one right away or something. So that's how I got my leafy greens. It was only kale. That's the only leafy greens I was getting the whole entire year. And I would just make a, a kale smoothie with banana. And, um, yeah. But I'm lucky because I have a farmer's market on Sundays where it is a bit cheaper. Supermarket vegetables are even worse here. The farmer's market's bad enough, but at least it's still a bit cheaper, but that was all I was getting, um, but on top, but I was eating bean soup, and then you could do another soup, like with beans, or another soup with a different type of lentil, and you just make a huge pot of soup, and yeah, my, it's kind of boring, yeah, okay, to eat the same exact dinner for seven days, but so what, I mean, it's still delicious, and it's fine, I mean, you can do it, um, and if you're a family who struggles, then you're probably used to having to eat the same thing over and over again, so it might as well be something that is better for you, and it ought to be something vegan. So yeah, because it's the right thing to do.
So that was a good experience that we had um, at this at the stall um, because people are using that as a throwaway and they're not thinking it through because non-vegans need fresh fruit and vegetables too. Um, and just being non-vegan doesn't suddenly make them cheaper. <laughs> um, and, you know, I haven't looked at the price. Oh, and another one is like soy milk here is really expensive. It's like more than twice the price of cow's milk. Um, probably more than twice the price. And so I'm making sunflower seed milk. Um, but I do have a blender. But like I said, if you maybe go to the local Salvation Army or something, you can pick up a blender or... Um, Try to find one, and you can make your own sunflower seed milk um, if you can't afford um, soy milk, because sunflower seeds are only ten dollars a kilo, and you can that you don't need to make like I would make it quite watery just to save you know money. I still kind of had my little my my milk for my cereal though, but I'm not even really using plant milk at the moment um, because um, I'm using instead of using plant milk to soak my overnight oats. I'm just using water. It doesn't taste quite as good, but so what? When you're on a budget, you do these things, and it's still nutritious, and it still tastes okay. Um, I just soak them in water overnight, you know? And then as a treat, like I'd splash a little plant milk in the morning when I was going to eat them, so it lasts a lot longer, so I have to, you know. So there's all, you know, if you're dedicated um, to the idea, you're going to make it work, but it, you, you need to sort of help people. You need to kind of not let them do these throwaway arguments. You need to meet them on their level. You need to know what their circumstances are. Let them tell you their circumstances. Um, and then you can try to work with them and say, okay, let's think this through together. What, you know, and, and I'm lucky that I have some personal experience that I can now share because I've had to figure things out myself. You know, I've had to figure out how to um, make it work. Um, so, um, and I'm in a better position than a lot of people. I mean, I am not poor by any means. Um, at all, so um, we need to be able to help people who are genuinely um, poor, and um, we need to make fresh fruit and vegetables accessible to everybody, because especially children, I mean, in terms of development and growth and stuff, I mean, it's criminal that there are people who don't have enough to eat on this world, and the amount of food that we throw away in the West. That's global, you know, so um, we got to be part of that. And um, I want to be part of that. I want to be part of that kind of thing. Um, and it's one of the principles of the abolitionist approach anyway. So it was a great day yesterday. It was inspiring. I feel a bit better because I did some constructive vegan advocacy. And um, I got to put some things into practice that I like. <laughs> and um, we had one guy who... Came, like one of the things I'm, I always complain about, this is one of the reasons why I'm so, like people who do vegan abolitionist vegan advocacy are even more critical with welfareist advocacy because we see the result of it and we're constantly having to clean up the mess. And that's frustrating because we're starting on the back foot because of them. So we had a guy come up and say, you know, you can't talk about halal though, because if you do that, you're going to be um, pointing the finger at, at Muslim people. This was a white guy, and it was an unusual thing to start off saying. And we said, well, we don't point the finger at halal. We say it's all the same. I said, there's no difference between what Muslim people are doing and what white people are doing. And then he said, well, it's instantaneous when we do it. It's just a bolt in the head. And then... Um, we tried to make it the point of that we don't we're not focusing on treatment here. It's just as unnecessary for white people to shoot a bolt in the head of a cow as it is for a Muslim person to slit the throat of a cow to eat them because neither none of us need to eat them and that's what we're about. And I thought it was an interesting exchange. And then he um, said, "Oh, well, you just in it for the money." So first of all, we had to deal with this single issue campaigning xenophobic campaign target that targets Muslims, which is a big part of animal advocacy is that kind of campaigning, the single issue campaign. So we had to clean that mess up that he brought over, that it was done by the, you know, mainstream movement. And then once we kind of shot that argument down, then he was like, oh, well, you're just in it to make money. You're just making money. Because that's what mainstream animal advocacy is too, is give me money, give me money, give me money. And so, um, and we had, and then when we, said to him, no, we don't accept donations, whatever, he just shook his head and walked away. I mean, he was there to instigate, he didn't, 
I think, and it was interesting because I got to see Bubs, um, we haven't seen him for ages and ages, and he came to the stall, it was so lovely, couldn't stay long, but um, there was the three of us doing the stall most of the afternoon, and, um, and w but when Bubs was there for that exchange, and uh, we were trying to figure out what, what he was going, what he was doing, and I uh, like, was he, Isla was he Islamophobic, or was he, he was seeing all the Islamophobic campaigns against halal, and he was saying, I don't, we didn't really know where he was coming from, and then Bub said, oh, he was, one of the things that he came up with was that, oh, he was, he was trying to provoke us into being Islamophobic, um, for whatever reason, this is a possibility, he was trying to provoke it to see what we would do, to see if we would say, oh no, but it is really cruel, you know, the animals take longer to die and blah, blah, because he started saying that stuff. And then when I challenged him on, well, what about what everyone else does? He's like, oh no, no, we're better, it's better. So I'm like, oh, so he is a bit Islamophobic, or is he not, or I don't know. And then um, Bob said, yeah, he was probably trying to make you do that, either to then feel solidarity with you about it, or to then turn around and call you a hypocrite, or to then change the subject away from So I don't know what the motive was, but it didn't go down well for him, because we're abolitionists, and we don't, we don't hold with that. But that's another mess. We're constantly cleaning up the mess created by single-issue speciesist campaigning, xenophobic, racist, sexist campaigning, money-making campaigning, and um, welfareist everything, everything, you know? And um, it's annoying. And if only the light bulb will go on, and I'm talking about the volunteers now because the career welfareists are not going to give up their jobs for us. It's a sweet living that they make. Um, so they're not going to give that up. So I'm talking about all the volunteers and supporters, all the vegans who promote them, link to them, promote their campaigns, volunteer for them, go and collect money for them. If they would just, all of us, because we outnumber them, you know, the ones at the top, the ones making the actual cash income who have a career at it, they're a very small percentage. They rely a lot on volunteers. So if those volunteers could break away from that and we could, all of us volunteers, all of us become a grassroots movement that globally, no matter what neighborhood you're in, no matter what area you're in, no matter what country you're in, no matter what welfareist organizations exist in your country, presented a united, unequivocal, clear, consistent, vegan, abolitionist message, then we'd have a lot less mess to clean up because we wouldn't be creating that mess, those messes. So that's, that's why I get so frustrated and so, yeah, I really get upset with welfareist advocacy because I see the result of it when I'm out there trying to do vegan advocacy and it's annoying. Alright, so I think I've said enough, but have um, I hope this is a really good year and that we all get out there and do vegan abolitionist advocacy and know your limits, know your strengths, but try to push past your limits and capitalize on your strengths. Don't be too hard on yourself, but don't become complacent, you know, just find a way to make it work and read, read you know, the abolitionist theory, there's so many books out there now by um, Gary Francione's original books where he wrote, you know, Rain Without Thunder and The Animal Rights Debate and Animals as Persons, and then the later books where um, him and Anna Charlton have got together to write books for vegan advocates because they finally had a body of vegan advocates to write books for because finally people are getting out there and doing it and they're like, yay, finally, okay, now you've got all these questions on that part of it here, you know, and um, they did their best to make short books about it. I mean, you can carry this book in your bag, and it's only a couple of hundred pages long, um, but it's all in there, so do that, reach out to other vegans, look at what the vegan ab um, advocates are saying about their experiences and how they're doing it, and the conversations that they're having, and how they're capitalizing on opportunities, how they're keeping conversations going, you know, the kinds of things that they're saying, and watch the seminars by Gary Francione and Anna Charlton, which are so helpful. And it's just, there's so many resources out there. Um, if you really want to do it, you can do it. Um, and if we all did more of it, 
um, we would have a great time. Still have the potlucks, I mean, and, and the recipes and post your food blogs. And I mean, that is so important. But um, we also need to be having those hard-hitting um, discussions about fundamental ethics and morality of animal use as well. Um, okay, that's what I reckon. So, Happy New Year 2018 everyone. Thank you so much for listening. I'm going back to full-time uni at the end of February, so I don't know what's going to happen with my podcast, but I'll be back. I don't know when, but I will be back. Bye.